0: We've been working through this series on spiritual disciplines and um, it's been exciting to hear from you guys like how God's using these things and how he's challenging you uh, and, and like how this is shaping your lives. But then it's also been life-giving in many ways, which was our hope. And so we've been taking time to dive deep into this stuff. Uh, with the, basically, we're looking for intimacy. Uh, Shonda addressed it in what she had to say. We're looking for this intimacy. We want a closeness with God. We want to hear what he has to say and what he desires for us. And so I've been trying to keep this in front of you. Every time we talk about these things, what they are about is practically responding to God's love. And so I cannot stress enough today, folks how much God loves you. Each and every one of you, how much God loves you today. He loves you. He made the first move to show you that he loved you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. You're part of that, that he gave, right? That order is important. He loved you and then he gave. His overture was sending his son Jesus to live for us and then die for us. And then live again for us. You ever think about it like that? That's pretty cool. And so, God longs for us to connect with him. And he desires the friendship with us that Jeannie mentioned uh, in both of her messages. That connection, that intimacy. He longs for that with us. And so when we talk about things like meditation or prayer, fasting, Bible study... Simplifying our lives solitude serving others all of these things confession worship. These are all important ways For us to draw near to him These are just ways that we can get closer to him and have that intimacy and because god loves us Because he loves us He wants to uproot the things in our lives that cause that separation from him that disturb that intimacy that compete with his affections for our hearts And so when we go through these things and we talk about these disciplines, it's not a laundry list of all the stuff that we need to do. These are all connection points that we have available to us. So that's what I want to talk about today, this idea of God loving us and uprooting these things in our lives to make space for these disciplines. So there's a reason for that. He wants to fill us up, right? When God takes something out of our life, he always replaces it with something, right? God doesn't, like, yank stuff out of the garden of our heart, so to speak, and then just leave it there so more weeds can grow back. No, what does he do? He fills us up. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about God wanting to fill us up with the power of his spirit. Does anyone want some of that? Right? Yeah. Okay, you're there. Good, good, good. The power of his spirit, seriously. We look at, like, these heroes in Scripture and all of the stuff that they were doing. All these things God was moving through their lives and miracles. And we're like, how does that happen? How do I do that? How do I have that power in my life? And so we're going to talk about that. In John 14, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure. And so as it was kind of unfolding and we, you know, we see sort of the sidebar of the story. They didn't necessarily understand everything that was happening. But they knew. They had a sense. And, of course, they were sad. I mean, who wouldn't be sad, right? Like, the Messiah, your teacher, the guy that you'd followed for years, and all of a sudden he's telling you, hey, I'm going to go, guys. It would have been sad. And they probably were fearful, too. If you think about the climate of everything that was happening in the world then, they thought that he was going to come and conquer. And he did, just not maybe in the way that they thought. And so here's what Jesus says in John 14: He's like, listen, guys, if you love me, keep my commandments the stuff that I taught you, all the things that are important for you, to just, just do it. But not only that, as you guys are doing this, you don't realize how good it's going to be for me to go. Because when I do, I'm going to ask the Father to send His Spirit. And you guys may not understand this yet, but listen, His Spirit's going to fill you up. It's going to comfort you. The Spirit is going to bring you Peace. Spirit will lead you and teach you you things. The Spirit's going to empower you. You're going to do stuff that you saw me do and even more. And you know what? With the Spirit in you, you're going to do stuff. You're going to feel things. You're going to see things that are not available to the rest of the world. Just you because you're my guys. If you're a Christian here today That promise is for you too It is That promise is yours You can seize that You can hold on to it It's a part of your life You're like yeah right Now that's what I'm talking about That's why I paid to get into this place Not really but right? that, That's what we want right But then you ask yourself the question Because you start to think about that and You But I don't see that Like I don't see that in my natural life I mean, I feel it sometimes, and maybe when I first met God, I felt that a little bit. But I don't have comfort, and there's lots of times that I don't have peace. Lots of times. I don't feel like I'm being led by God anywhere necessarily, maybe. In fact, today you might be here, and you might feel like you're stuck. You might feel like you got to a point in your life, you know, yeah, I was walking with God, and it was great, and all of a sudden, boom, I hit this wall, and here we are. And I don't know what to do. So it's good that you're here, because we're going to talk about that. The hopelessness, the joy being sucked out of your life. And I'm not just talking about kids, so don't even think that. Kids are marvelous! But we've all been there, right? If I'm being completely transparent, a lot of this is how I was feeling when I went into that retreat. We all have those moments. We're stressed out, we're anxious, we kind of divert to this sort of survival mode, you know? Just making, if I could just make it through another day. We want God's spirit. We want his power in our lives. So where is it? Paul had a lot to say about it. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about it. We're going to kind of get there a roundabout way. But you need to know something, okay? The church in Corinth was a mess. I mean, a complete mess. Here's a few of the things that were happening the people were divided by these petty popularity contests over who was the best speaker, arguments over who among them was the best, the right doctrine, right? Well, this guy says this, it has to be true. No, this guy says this, and I believe him. Sound familiar, right? People looking out for only their own self-interest. They were treating each other poorly. All the while, they were compromised in their integrity. They'd fallen into sexual sin and all kinds of other stuff right there in the church. Some weird things. You can read about it on your own. They were worshiping other gods. They were chasing selfish desires. And then there were leaders among the people that were saying that all of that was cool. It was okay. Like, well, you know what? We got grace in Jesus, so why not? That's what was happening in Corinth. And a lot more, actually. But here's the problem. The work of God's Spirit in their lives had ground to a halt. And so here are some of the results of that. They'd grown ineffective. Paul comes to address the problem because new believers were coming in and they were confused. Like, this is no different than what we left. I'm just going to go back down the street and worship the dude that sometimes favors me. Because this is crazy. So people were actually being turned away by this, right? Right? Their growth was stunted because of sin. And so here's how Paul responds. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll start with verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ. Jesus babies. That's what you guys are, right? I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. And even now, you're not ready. For you're still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul's like, this is not okay, guys. This isn't what I taught you. In chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says flesh or worldly or some kind of permutation of that word at least five times. This is a big deal to him. He goes on throughout all of 1 Corinthians to correct the errors in their thinking, but he clearly draws this distinction. Here's what he says. Guys, living for Jesus requires more. More than being Jesus babies. We are called to leave our old ways of thinking and behaving behind us. According to 1 Corinthians, we can narrow the problem to two stages of our experience as believers. You've heard it probably a lot of ways. Flesh versus spirit. Or evil inclination versus good inclination. Or giving into our self-centered desires versus the desire to please God through our love for him and others. Paul is proclaiming to the church at Corinth this. You're not living out What you say, you believe. You call yourselves Christians, but then the things that you're doing and the way that you're living it out is not happening. In fact, it's not teaching anyone around you anything. Our lives are supposed to be a reflection of him, right? They're supposed to speak to the world. They're supposed to say who Jesus is by the way that we behave. And Paul's like, you guys aren't doing it. And if we're honest, the modern church falls into these same things a lot of times. So maybe today, your struggle, my struggle, is their struggle. We want to enjoy all the benefits that God has to offer, right? Without the commitment of surrendering our lives to him. It's like, I want all the good stuff, Jesus, but I'm not sure I'm ready to sign the contract just yet. And we're so committed sometimes to hanging on to those things. That we don't realize, we don't see the power and the freedom that we're missing out on. So most of you guys know that I grew up in the mighty town of Claycomo, Missouri. I think that may be the first time I've ever heard a Claycomo shout-out in church, or anywhere, really. But when I was a kid in Claycomo, um, it was actually kind of a cool town to grow up in, because... It was fairly safe, you know, there were just a couple rules, but other than that, we could roam, we could go anywhere we wanted, we could follow the creek for miles as kids, right? Uh, One of the rules was we couldn't cross the highway, if you could call it a highway, right? But you couldn't cross the highway. And the other rule was that when the streetlights came on, you had to be within shouting distance of dad's voice. I don't know how you take a one-syllable name and stretch it out like that, but somehow he had the way to do that, right? So uh, those were the two rules. And so there was this rumor that was circulating among the kids. That would be me. I couldn't drive yet. I don't know how old I was, but there was this rumor that was circulating that if you went down to the Pizza Hut, because we were high class, we had a Pizza Hut and a Taco Bell. That was a big deal, by the way, when we had two restaurants there. Um, if you went down to the pizza hut and the right manager was working and you offered to clean up the parking lot for them, they would give you free food. And, you know, as a kid who had no money, and really even now, free food is a pretty powerful enticement. So, <laughs> me and a friend, I think it was Zoop, I'm like 99% sure, but we're going to say it's soup. If it was you, we can talk about it later. But um, we decided we were going to go in and check this out. So we go in, and we find the manager, and he says, yeah, absolutely. If you guys want to pick up the parking lot, we'd be happy uh, to give you something for that. And so we said, okay, great. So we go out in the parking lot, and because we're kids, we don't have gloves. Who needs gloves, right? So we're picking up cigarette butts. I think halfway through the process, they finally gave us a broom and a dustpan. We're picking up cigarette butts and gum and trash and, like, all this stuff off the ground. Why do people leave dirty diapers in parking lots? What's up with that? Seriously. I mean, like, every parking lot. Anyway, I digress. So we're picking up all the stuff off the parking lot. We make it look really good. Teenage kid standards good, right? But it looked good to us. We're like, this is pretty good. So we go in and we tell the manager. He comes out and checks out. Okay, great, 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 great job, guys. So we go in. We scrub our hands down really good. And he comes out, and he hands us a $10 bill. Not each of us a $10 bill. He hands us a $10 bill. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Now, here's the problem. Pizza Hut, especially at that time, there was nothing on the menu that two people could share for $10. This was before the day of breadsticks, folks. Okay? So, we said, thank you. We turned around, and we walked 30 feet over to Taco Bell. Right? Right? So on our way over to Taco Bell, this scheme starts to concoct. And we're like, you know what would be so funny? What if we pretended that we were in an invisible car and we went through the drive-thru? Wouldn't that be hilarious? Right? And so you know how it is. It's a lot funnier in your mind than it probably is in reality. But one thing about Zoop and I, when we get together, it had to have been Zoop. Anyway, one thing about us when we get together is whatever the scheme was, we were totally committed to it. And so then it became a dare because it's like, okay, neither one of—we're not going to break character in this thing, okay? We are driving an invisible car, and so whoever broke character first was going to lose. So we go to the little drive-through window and we place our order. Zoop is driving, and then we sidle up to. We're here at the window. Inside the window is this way underpaid high school kid. He turns around. <laughs> That's exactly what happened, right? You could tell the look on his face like, oh, not again. <laughs> Guys, what are you doing, right? What are you doing? We're here to pick up our order. Guys, you got to come in. Why? Because you you have to be in a car We are in a car Guys you have to be in a real car This is a real car So this whole debate started right And we were not going to give up So this kid was getting very frustrated He was not paid nearly enough for this So finally we upped the ante Let us talk to your manager (laughs) I didn't say we were smart okay So The kid's like, that was the first time he smiled. He's like, okay. So he goes and he gets the manager. The manager comes, guys, you've got to come inside. What? What's the problem? We've got money. We just want our food. You have to come inside. No. What? You're not in a car. Yes, we are. No, you're not. Yes, we are. No, you're not. Yes, we are. Can't you hear the engine? (laughs) Right? So everybody was getting frustrated. And finally, the manager says this. Listen, guys, if you want food, you need to pull your invisible car around to the front of the restaurant and come inside. Otherwise, I'm calling the police. And if you've ever been to Clay Como, you know that's not how you want it to go down. So in our hearts, it was a tiny victory because the manager acknowledged our invisible car. So we pulled the invisible car around to the front and we went inside. And we had our delicious Taco Bell, which was by then very, very cold. <laughs> True story. So, here's the bottom line of why I told you that. If Zoop and I wanted our food, if we wanted to sit down and eat together, we had to eventually abandon the game that we were clinging to and step inside the restaurant. Right? There was no way in the world that that food was going to get to us in our awesome invisible car. We had to come inside. The same is true, guys, for our relationship with God. We may be Christians by name. Maybe we said the prayer. Maybe we've even allowed him to make some changes in our hearts and in our lives. But if we continue to hold on to the game, our old attitudes, sins... It's not going to happen. We have to step inside the kingdom if we want to order off the menu and enjoy the fellowship found there. We have to step inside the kingdom of God, not one foot here and one foot here. We have to be inside the kingdom of God if we want to order off the menu all the things that God promises us. If we want to order off the menu... And have fellowship with him, that intimacy we're talking about. We got to get inside. Because here's the deal God's kingdom is the only reality that there is. And this is a whole other sermon in itself. But let me tell you this, guys when you look around this world and you see all the insanity that's happening, it may sound a lot like the Matrix, but that's not the reality. The reality is we serve a sovereign God who has everything in his hands, who has a plan, who has a kingdom that's coming that we get to be a part of. It's true. So the sins and the desires and the things that we fill our lives with, sometimes even good things that crowd him out, the things that come between us, these are only illusion when we pursue these things because they're never going to satisfy they're never going to make us truly happy. We're always going to end up disappointed. But there's good news. The gospel actually means good news. Did you know that? And what the gospel tells us is that God's kingdom is coming, it's on the move, it's happening. And we're invited to be a part of that. We don't have to be controlled by our passions, by our desires, by our habits. We don't have to be. There's a solution. You're like, oh, really? Well, why don't you clue us in? I'd be happy to. We submit. What? That doesn't sound like the five-step book that I read. We submit. Jeannie shared two weeks ago about her quiet time being this act of submission, right? Right? Basically stating, God, my day is yours. My life is yours. I do this because I want to connect with you. I want that intimacy with you. We talked about submission very briefly at the very beginning of this series when we also covered serving other people and humility. And God said, no, we need to get back on that for just a week. And I said, okay. The desire of submission is to have Jesus as the master of my life in absolutely every way. Not just in most of the ways, not just in the hour that I'm here at church, but the desire of submission is to have Jesus as the master of my life in absolutely every way. God wants so much more for us, church. So much more. he's so good to continue his work in us. He doesn't give up on us. He sees the potential in us and that's what he's aiming for, right? He looks into us. as like, you know what? I made you to do this. And when you finally realize it, man, that's going to be so cool. I can't wait to watch that, right? Think about your kids. If you have kids, you see these little glimpses of potential in them when they're very, very young. Like, maybe they have an aptitude for sports, or maybe they're musical. Lily Brown, man, that kid's been musical her whole life. That little fireball's been singing since she came out of the womb. And so as a parent, you look at that, and you're like, man, someday. Like, that's already cool, but someday that's going to go, boom! And Jesus is going to fill that thing up, and it's going to explode on this world. And Watch out! The same is true for the way that God looks at every single one of you. And there are probably things that you already know, things that are close to your heart, things that you already love. But I bet there's some prizes in there too, somewhere. I can't tell you how many times I find myself doing something, like standing in front of people talking, saying, What? Really? He sees the potential of what could happen in us if our lives were just truly submitted to him. If we could just surrender it all and leave it there. We cannot be true disciples of the master if we're not fully submitted to him, guys. It's not a one foot in and one foot out kind of thing. When we begin this journey, actually, as disciples of Jesus, when we have that moment where we say yes to him, You know, it's like we finally realize who we are and who he is and what he did and what we can't do, right? We have that moment where we say, oh, you know what? You're in charge of my life. What we're supposed to be doing is submitting our life to him at that time. And so it looks like this. We submit to the leadings and the teachings of our master, the things that keep my commandments, right? He tells his disciples that. We're his disciples now. We dedicate our lives to becoming the disciplined people that he calls us to be. Disciple, discipline, right? All those words, discipline, disciple. Same root. Discipleship is discipline. And we allow him to lead us and then do what he asks us to do. Again, Shonda talked about it. I thought it was awesome. It's like, you know, when, I mean, I hear him. I hear him now. That's what it's about, hearing him. Trusting that he will speak to us. But so often we don't even stop, like, to listen to what he wants to say to us. We've got noise, noise, noise in our lives. There's always something going. I mean, literally, a lot of times. If you're one of those folks that can't, like, be in the room without the radio or some kind of noise going, it might be hard for God to talk to you. And then when we do hear him speak, because many times, okay, okay. I got to get his attention right on your life or something, you know, oh, I'm listening. You got my attention. He gets our attention and then we're surprised when he asks us to do something or surrender something or give some God, that's my time, right? I mean, I gave you that five minutes this morning on you version. What do you want from me? There's no question that Jesus was radical, and I dare even say subversive in this regard. Listen to what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so you look at that, and you're like, wow, that's a cool fortune cookie. So Zen, what do you mean, Jesus? Think about what he's saying here. The Messiah who lowered himself to wash the feet of his disciples, who lowered himself to allow men to beat him and crucify him without saying a word in his own defense on our behalf. Basically says, hey, kind of just gave you the example. If you lose your life, you're going to find it in me. All these things you think are important, you're holding on to so tightly. Give them to me. Follow me. Listen to me. Because, guys, it's in the power of submission that we find freedom. We find freedom there. You're like, what? Freedom? Submission and freedom sound like they do not go together. And I get you on that. So I'm going to share something with you here. Richard Foster describes in his book, Celebration of Discipline. This is magnificent in my opinion. What What freedom corresponds to submission, he asks the question. What freedom corresponds to submission? It is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. The obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. People will spend weeks, months, and even years in a perpetual stew because some little thing did not go the way that they wished. And if you've ever watched people order at Starbucks, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Seriously. It's just milk. Anyway. They're in this perpetual stew because some little thing did not go the way they wished. They will fuss and fume. They will get mad about it. They will act as if their very life hangs on the issue... Of milk they may even get an ulcer over it and you think that's funny it's true in the discipline of submission we're released to drop the matter to forget it and frankly most things in life are not nearly as important as we think they are our lives will not come to an end if this or that do not happen Now listen, I don't have time to go into this, but I know the word submission sometimes raises red flags in people because they're like, you know, man, the church and the whole submission thing in history, uh, it's been bad. You're right. It has. Because anything God does, anything good, the enemy always wants to turn around and use it for bad, okay? And that has happened in the church. But that's not healthy submission. Healthy submission doesn't ask you to do something illegal. Healthy submission doesn't ask you to do something harmful to people, Okay. So I want to make that clear. The submission that Jesus calls for is completely different. The world in Jesus' time was all about, like, being the top dog, being dominant. I mean, this is the Roman world, so your status was important. I am a centurion. Bow to me. Carry my packages. Right? The bigger deal you were, your status was higher. Okay? And so Jesus is saying these words in the midst of social classes in this hierarchy that are defined by the characteristics of people's status, their titles. And that's why this is radical. We get so bent out of shape when things, even simple things, go wrong. And so this idea of submitting to others is counterintuitive. They're like, I don't know about that. Jesus is saying, listen, When you love others my way, when you look out for the best interest of others my way, that's what it's all about. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, right? And I will give you rest. Take on my yoke. It's easy, guys. What's he saying? He's saying, submit to me, follow me. Lay down your life and go with me. Let me show you how it's done. Because it's not like he came here and he didn't do it. It's not like the trap that we fall into as parents where we tell our kids to do. Okay, listen. I know I was just speeding there, but you should not do that. Right? That's not Jesus. Anything he asks us to do, he already did it. Submit. Submit. To me and let me worry about it. Jesus doesn't want an hour from you on Sunday, folks. He wants all of it. He wants you to be wholly submitted to Him. He wants every minute of every day that you have. So if somebody told you something different when you first became a Christian, you got ripped off, man. Jesus asks for everything and He gives you everything. It's crazy. In a world that's constantly saying, it's all about you. Have it your way. Build the Whopper however you want it. Twelve meat patties, no problem. How large is your wallet? Have it your way, right? That's the world. That's what the world says about everything. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You're a man, you're a woman. You make your own decisions. For only 1995. <laughs> so we claw and we scrape and we get frustrated because when it's all about us, it always fails. Why is no one doing what I want? It's all about me. Don't you know? You're all just bit players in my play. I'm the star. Can't you tell by my voice? Jesus flips all of that upside down. And living that way, guys, and I think in your hearts you know, living that way day after day only leads to disappointment day after day. So when we choose the way of the cross, right, what Jesus said, pick up that cross and follow me. When we choose the way of the cross, the matter is always settled, Any room you walk into, you know where you stand because you're with Jesus, right? And it's all good because, like, you're looking for—it's not about, hey, I'm the best in the room. It's like, hey, I'm the least in the room, and whatever I can do to serve you, Jesus, I'm on it. Where's the need? Who is it? Who's hurting? Raise your hand if you need prayer, Starbucks. I need to start getting a kickback for that, man. I said that a lot today. (laughs) I'm just kidding. When we choose the way of the cross, the matter is always settled because Jesus is the greatest. And when we're weak, he's strong. He promises that, right? It's a paradox. I don't completely understand it. All I can tell you is I've lived it. And when I surrender, when you surrender, that's when it happens. So back to the original subject, the power of God's spirit. We say we want it, but will we make room for it? So I gave you this little rhyme that hopefully will help you remember Submit to his will to be spirit-filled That's right, submit to his will to be spirit-filled And so very quickly, what does that look like? It's not surprising that later in 1 Corinthians, because Paul is awesome He doesn't just point out the problems, he actually gives some solutions And so he's like, guys, 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 listen And he actually uses this metaphor That they all would have understood, and I think we will too He paints this word picture, and he uses the metaphor of a race. And many of us have heard this passage of Scripture before, but in the Roman world, like, athletic competition was it. It was the pinnacle. You know, if you could succeed in athletic competition, be the champion. I mean, it it was like winning the lottery there. And so here's what he says to them. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. And what he's talking about there is the actual victory award was a wreath that was just woven out of like an olive branch or some kind of a tree. That was their big reward. It's a major award, right? The thing would wither. It wasn't going to last. But it was about the honor, right? So they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable He's saying, listen, the reward for running this race, for Jesus, no one can steal that from you. It's not going to die. It's not going to wither. It's not going to fade. So Paul then says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul's like, listen. Athletes discipline themselves. It's part of the gig, right? Usain Bolt, you guys know who he is? He just retired this weekend. He's considered perhaps the best sprinter of all time. And if you ever saw him run in the Olympics, he was from Jamaica. He was way too tall to be a sprinter. Everything was like wrong. He was not supposed to be good, but he was. He was phenomenal. And it was effortless for him. Like he'd just be smiling and running, you know? It was amazing. And so this weekend, he retired. It was his last race. But you know what? He didn't just show up and run the race. He didn't get the endorsement deal to put on the gold shoes and then just show up. Yeah, I got the shoes. I think I'm good. Let's do this. No, even though he had he was very gifted, he still had to train. He had to work hard. He had to push his body past the limits. Right. When he was hurt and sore and didn't want to do it, he had to get out of bed anyway and go do it again. The Greek word that Paul uses for compete in the scripture is agonosomai, which means to agonize. That's where we get that word. So when he talks about competition, he's saying it's agonizing, signifying that this race is difficult. It takes preparation, dedication, and work. Discipline. Hmm. Right? In our race, we too should discipline ourselves through self-control submitting all things to jesus that's how we qualify for the race right we submit to him as citizens of the kingdom of heaven guys we're all in the race okay it's the only event there are no others and here's the cool thing everybody wins everybody can win talks about finishing well later on man all of us can win this we're only competing against ourselves and the things that the enemy throws at us and our willingness to surrender But we were talking about the Spirit. And here's the even better news. God doesn't expect you to do it alone. He empowers you with His Spirit. And that's why He gave us His Spirit. Check this out. Romans 15. I love this. This is a part of a prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And then later on it says, In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work For God. Filled with the Spirit, proud of our work in God. Not of ourselves, not of our accomplishments, but of our work through Christ Jesus, right? All of the amazing things that we see happening in the lives of the men and women of Scripture, they're possible for us too, guys. They are. We're talking about people that were completely sold out for Him, people that believed. And yeah, maybe they had an advantage of seeing him walking around after he was resurrected. Some of them did. But a lot more of them did not. The power of the Holy Spirit is alive. It's at work. And it will be in our daily lives. It's possible. Teaching, leading, guiding, directing us. The hope and the joy and the peace, the power of the spirit-filled life that this prayer talks about. It's possible. That's what this imparts to us. This prayer is for us. I mean, it was for the believers then, but it's for us too. And it springs from that thing we talked about at the very beginning, that intimacy, that closeness. Meeting with him daily, allowing him to fill us up with his words. Making his thoughts our thoughts, because the only thing that can transform something is when you add something new to it, right? Right? We're supposed to be transformed. You're not going to be transformed by the world, not in the way you want to be. And those aren't new thoughts anyway. His thoughts become our thoughts. Changing our attitudes into His attitudes. Imagine that as we submit our will to Him. So, I know I've gone a long time, but let me just say this. We have to step inside the kingdom if we want to order off the menu and enjoy the fellowship that's found there. So if you're living with a foot in both worlds, you're probably exhausted by now. And Jesus will meet you at that point of exhaustion and say, you know what? Come over here. Let me help you. Come on. Give it to me. All of it. Sometimes we have this tendency to think to ourselves Jesus, this is way too much Or you know what? This is too small to bother you with Or I can do this on my own Listen, he's not asking for that What he asks us is to just come to him and give it to him So practically, what does this look like? Well, it starts with prayer And this will look familiar if you're already a believer I'm going to ask uh, Jeremy if you come up and as we lead into worship here, but it starts with prayer. And this is one that I found to be very comforting when I was on my sabbatical, but just a prayer. Here I am, Lord, your servant is listening. And then stopping to listen. And then when he didn't say anything, stopping again to say, Here I am, Lord, your servant's listening. And then stopping to listen again. I promise you, he'll say something. Search my heart, God. What, what else can go? Good, bad, or otherwise. What is impeding your work here? Yank it out. Help me. Help me move it out. Any barrier, God. Anything that I've withheld from you. Because we have a tendency to do that. right? We hold on to the one little thing, the one little sin, the, the small thing that we think, oh, that's not going to be that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. We hold on. God's like, you know what? I want it all. I want every part of you. I have so many good things in store for you, but you've got to give it to me. Second part of that is confession. We have to take ownership, guys. Speaking these things out and saying, God, I'm sorry for this stuff. These are the things. Naming the things. Like, And it's not like you have to sit down with a person, but sometimes that's good. Some accountability in your life with another person. It's like, listen, here it is. Here's all the stuff. I need someone to hold me to this because I'm struggling with it. Taking ownership of the areas that we've withheld, the sins, all that stuff, and giving it over to Him. And sometimes that's an everyday process. And then repentance. Repentance is saying you're sorry, but it's more than that. It's actually turning away from the things that you used to do, or at least working the very best to do so. And sometimes we're going to fall, we're going to stumble. And God says, you know what? It's okay. Let me help you up. Follow me. Pick up your cross. Let's do it. We start walking. And I think that statement there is important. Eyes on Jesus, okay? Because we look around. We have a tendency to look around at other people or at the world. And we're like, oh, oh, oh. I'm not progressing as well as he is. Look how much God loves him. No. Eyes on Jesus. Pay attention to who you're following. He'll develop those things in you. He'll help you lay things down. His reality is the reality. Not everything that's happening in this world that surrounds us. Guys, I believe that now more than I ever have. I wished I'd known this a long time ago. I wished I'd embraced this a long time ago. God has powerful and mighty plans for you. But you've got to lay it down. You have to submit. Would you bow your hearts to me? you this morning and we want to be your people we're here because we know that you're the only one that can save you're the only one that can transform our lives we need it Jesus every one of us needs you So today we come before you. We offer ourselves to you and we say, do with us what you will. God, I pray that today as we worship you, that we would hold nothing back that even this act of worship to you could be submitting to Jesus as our Lord all over again. Father, we need your help. And change our hearts. So God, I pray even for the folks that are in this room maybe that have withheld things or they've struggled with the same things day after day. Maybe they've prayed for healing from you for a long, long time. Father, I pray that your spirit would just rush into this place and into hearts and that you would change us. Do these things in the name of Jesus.